the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. Why was Timothy at Ephesus? Why was Timothy there? Titus was at Crete, we're told, to set in order what remains and to appoint elders in every city. But why was Timothy at Ephesus? The church at Ephesus had already been in operation for years. It had been about seven years before this that Paul founded this church. It was the leading church in Asia Minor. In fact, when Paul writes the letter that we call Ephesians, that is a letter that is circular in nature. That is a letter that goes out to many of the churches in Asia Minor. And so we have probably called it Ephesians because that was the main church of Asia Minor from which everything else went out. But that had taken place about, as best we can put the data together, about seven years earlier. It was founded by Paul probably about 56 A.D., And while at Ephesus, Paul poured out his heart and life to this church. This is the verse-by-verse radio broadcast where we feature the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we begin a new series of messages titled, God's Standards for Church Leadership. This will be taken from 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now if this is your first time listening to the teaching of Pastor Steve, you are in for a blessing. Pastor Steve is known for his exegetical or verse-by-verse teaching of the Bible. I have appreciated how he carefully explains a passage of Scripture, and by the time we get to the end of this series, you will have an excellent grasp on 1 Timothy chapter 3. I would guess most of us are not church leaders. So why is this series important to us? Maybe it should be only for pastors. That's not the case. However, instead of me explaining why you and I should listen to this series, I will let Pastor Steve do the talking. Turn, please, in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I mentioned this morning that this is one of my favorite portions in the Word of God. I have never really had the opportunity to teach through it. I am excited about it. I think it's the heart of 1 Timothy. In fact, I think it's the heart of understanding the entire letter of 1 Timothy. And so we begin reading in verses 1 through 7. It is a trustworthy or reliable or faithful statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. 
But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he may not fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. For the past few weeks, we have been studying 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15, which as you know by now, it speaks of women not being the ones to teach and lead in the church. We call that series Women in Worship, and we said at that point that the point of those verses is to say that it's not the woman's role to be the leader in the church. When the church gathers, it does not gather to be taught by women. It gathers to be taught by men, and the women ought to evidence godliness and so forth. But as we move in to chapter 3, the emphasis and the word changes now. Paul immediately tells us who are the leaders of the church. So in chapter 2, we learn who should not be leading the church, and in chapter 3, we learn who should be leading the church. And so there is a very logical and natural progression of thought in the Apostle Paul's mind. And I want you to understand right off the bat, this issue is not just a matter of men should lead and women should not lead. It is not just a matter of male and female. That is not the issue. The issue is this, that godly men should lead, qualified men should lead, not just men, but godly, mature, qualified, spiritual men ought to be in leadership in the church. Now, concerning this, the New Testament is absolutely dogmatic and emphatic. Only spiritually and morally qualified men can be church leaders. Twice in Paul's letters, he mentions the qualifications for leadership in the church. In Titus chapter 1, He deals with that, and in 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you were to compare these two lists, you would see that the categories are very similar. In fact, just about everything that Paul mentions in Timothy, he also mentions in Titus. But I want you to know there is a world of difference between these two lists. Not in the categories, but in the purpose and intent for which the Apostle Paul wrote them. Will you look at Titus chapter 1 and you'll see what I mean. And most people never make this distinction. And all they see is that the categories are similar, and so they think that these lists are similar as far as purpose. They have two separate purposes for which Paul penned them. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says this to Titus, For this reason I left you in Crete, that is the island of Crete, Why? That you may set in order what remains, things that I couldn't handle. What remains, you set in order, and one of the things you're to set in order, and the heart of what you're to set in order, is this. And appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Now, from that point on, he goes on to list the qualifications for an elder. For instance, in verse 6, he says, Namely, if any man be above reproach, the husband of one wife... It's very similar to what we just read in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So people conclude, well, it's really similar. No, I want you to understand the purpose for which Paul wrote this to Titus is to say, there are new churches there. I want you, Titus, to appoint leadership in the church. So they did not have leadership in the church at that time. But if you look back, 1 Timothy chapter 3, you don't see that. You don't see, I am telling you to appoint leaders. That is not the purpose for which chapter 3 of 1 Timothy was written. 
And it gets back to the very reason why was Timothy at Ephesus? Why was Timothy there? Titus was at Crete, we're told, to set in order what remains and to appoint elders in every city. But why was Timothy at Ephesus? The church at Ephesus had already been in operation for years. It had been about seven years before this that Paul founded this church. It was the leading church in Asia Minor. In fact, when Paul writes the letter that we call Ephesians, that is a letter that is circular in nature. That is a letter that goes out to many of the churches in Asia Minor. And so we have probably called it Ephesians because that was the main church of Asia Minor from which everything else went out. But that had taken place about, as best we can put the data together, about seven years earlier. It was founded by Paul probably about 56 A.D., And while at Ephesus, Paul poured out his heart and life to this church. And out of his ministry arose leaders. Out of his ministry of teaching, and he says, I was with you day and night, and I shed tears, and I led people to the Lord, and you were there, and you watched me, and I poured out my life, and I taught you the whole counsel of God. Out of that group of people arose certain men who were mature, who were godly, who took in and soaked in the word of God, and they rose to the position of leadership, and they took the oversight of the church when Paul left. But on his return from his third missionary journey, the Apostle Paul meets with these Ephesian elders on an island called Miletus, and he calls the elders to him. And you need to look in Acts chapter 20 about their meeting. Now understand, the church has been founded He has poured out his life there. He has spent a considerable time at Ephesus. Leadership has arisen. He has spent enough time so that there are men who gained maturity and rose, and it was obvious that these men were qualified to lead the church after Paul left. Now he's leaving. He has one final thing to say to them, so he calls them to an island called Miletus. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17, we read, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Now understand, this is about seven years, maybe even more, maybe ten years, but about seven years before First Timothy is ever written. And here's some of the things he says. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know that from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plot of the Jews, and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, You know what he's doing? He's telling them, this is the way I was with you. And he's going to later say, this is the way you're to be as I leave you. But that's what he's getting at. This is, you know how I conducted myself. You have a pattern of leadership. He says in verse 22, and now, now that I've done this and I'm leaving you, behold, bound in spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me. He said, I don't know what's going to happen exactly, but I know the Holy Spirit keeps saying through his prophets that there's bonds and afflictions that await me. And that was absolutely correct. But he says, I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that you all among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. 
Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. So now he's back on track with, remember, I have done this, I'm leaving, but you have a pattern. Now watch this, in verse 28 he says, be on guard for yourselves, means be alert, be watchful, watch. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, Paul says, I want you to be on guard, not only for yourselves, but for the flock. Why? Verse 29. I know that after my departure, savage wolves, and he's speaking now figuratively, not that animals are going to come in there, but people who act like savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the leaders. Men, he says, are going to come in amongst you, and their goal is not to spare the flock. They're going to be false leaders. Verse 30, and from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. He says, I know that men from outside the congregation are going to come in. They're going to try to destroy the church. And I know that from within leadership, the very people and group that you represent, the elders, men are going to arise and they are going to have one purpose. And that is not to draw disciples for Christ, but to draw disciples for themselves, which is a mark of a false teacher. So he says in verse 31, therefore, be on the alert. Be spiritually aware of what's happening. Don't go to sleep remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Don't forget my leadership. Don't forget what I did. Don't forget that each day I shed tears on your behalf. So you be alert, he says. And then secondly, not only be alert, said, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those which are sanctified. In other words, the enemy is going to try to destroy the church through the leadership. Corrupt men will corrupt the church. Therefore, be alert and be involved in teaching the word of God. I commit you to the word of God, which has built you up and you need to build others up with it. That's the point of this. But Paul left the church at Ephesus. He left the elders on the island of Miletus. They embraced him. They loved him. They understood that he wasn't just giving them words. They would see his face no more. And they embraced him and they kissed him and he hugged them. It's a precious scene as you read at the end of this chapter of a man who deeply loves those who are a part of his ministry and those who he has served who deeply love him. Great picture of the love of a leader for the church. But after Paul left these elders at Miletus, he eventually ends up in Rome from Jerusalem. As he said, bonds and afflictions await me. He's absolutely right. He ends up at Rome under house arrest. For two years he spends in house arrest, which gave him a lot of liberty. This was not the end of his life, but this was house arrest. And we believe that that's the end of the book of Acts. Luke doesn't tell us anything further, but we can put some things together. Apparently, after two years, he was released, and he comes back to Ephesus. He goes to other places as well, but he comes back to Ephesus, and he sees that his worst nightmares have become reality. What he said a few years earlier about leadership is going to be corrupt, and the church will be on the very fringe of being destroyed, he finds to be reality. Because some men have risen to the position of leaders in the church, and some of these men were heretics. 
Back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and this will just help you to understand this. Some men were absolutely heretics. I believe two of the leaders are found in chapter 1, verse 20. He says, among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered over to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Apparently they were teaching things that were absolutely blasphemous, and Paul has to come back and deal with them. He gets there and he finds these two, and before he leaves, he makes sure that they are put out of the church. There were others who maybe hadn't reached that point yet, but they were flirting with doctrines of demons. Chapter 4, verse 1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, and I don't think he means latter times being years from now, but from the time of Christ to the time he left to the time he returns at the latter times. But in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. That kind of stuff was taking place at Ephesus. They were teaching a combination of Jewish myths and Old Testament legalism. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 6. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they are making confident assertions. In other words, they want to be like the esteemed rabbis, but they teach fables and myths and endless genealogies, he says, and verses before this, and a type of ascetic legalism. Also, he says that these are men who looked at the ministry as an opportunity for financial gain. In chapter 6, verse 3, he says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of great gain. Now, who do you think he's talking about? Throughout this whole letter, he is hitting at the leadership. He is dealing with corrupt leadership. These were the men who were teaching. These were the men who were leading. These were the men who were allowing women to lead in the church. These were the men who, when they met together, were not leading the church in prayer for the salvation of lost folks. The whole problem at Ephesus was in the leadership. Now, for some reason, when Paul gets back to Ephesus, he can't stay there. I don't know why, but he had to move on to Macedonia, but he leaves Timothy there. And in chapter 1, verse 3, he says this, As I urged you, Timothy, upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus. Why? In order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Now, the men who were teaching were the leaders nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculations rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. In other words, the gospel. So these men were teaching heretical things, false things, corrupt things. They were drawing away disciples unto themselves. They were in it for the money. They were teaching a kind of ascetic legalism. They were proud. They were arrogant. They were corrupt. The church was going down the tubes and Paul's heart is breaking in. So he says, Timothy... I'm leaving you there not for the same reason that I've left Titus at Crete. Titus' job with the leadership is to appoint leaders. Your job is to correct the leadership. And many people never realize this. And so they approach 1 Timothy from the standpoint that it is a manual for church government. It is not. That's not even the question here. Paul's not giving a manual. Now, this is how the church ought to be governed. Now, we can deduce things from that, and we can get things from that. 
There's no question about it. But the whole letter is polemic. That is that it's a problematic letter. And everything Paul writes in this letter is to correct what was going on. In fact, he says in chapter 3, after he deals with the leadership, he says this in verse 14 and 15, which probably tells us the overall purpose and theme of the book. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed... I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. He's not speaking here about when you come to church, this is how you behave. Like when you walk through the doors, you know, you're quiet. He's not talking about that. He's saying, I want you to understand how God's family is to conduct themselves. Obviously, they didn't know how to conduct themselves. And that's really the theme of 1 Timothy, conduct of the household of God. Now, in chapter 2, he begins to deal with these problems. Chapter 1 is just sort of an introduction where he says, Timothy, hang in there, don't leave, don't go AWOL, hang in there, here's the situation. He kind of brings everything to an encouragement for Timothy as a young man facing a difficult situation not to run away. When he gets to chapter 2, he begins to deal with two problems in the church. When the church gathered for worship, you could say, really, I guess one problem is the worship service. When the church gathered for worship, the leaders were not leading in prayer and having a concern for the lost people. They had an elitist-type mentality and so forth. And then he says, there's a problem with your women. Your women are coming dressed inappropriately. They're drawing attention to themselves and flaunting not only their wealth, but they're flaunting their attractiveness, and therefore they are distracting people in the worship service. But the heart of the problem is chapter 3. That is the heart of the problem, and that's the problem with leadership unqualified leaders, and that's why he addresses this issue in chapter 3. Now watch this. Timothy's list of qualifications have a different purpose than the one sent to Titus. Timothy's job is not primarily to appoint new elders, though I suppose that we could say that out of this list, obviously, some new leadership would have guidelines to be appointed. But primarily, it is to give the church a standard by which she could evaluate the present leadership that she had. In other words, it is a corrective list. Timothy's letter from Paul would be read by Timothy to the church and would give them an authoritative standard by which to evaluate the men who are already leading the church. That is far different than what Titus is doing. Titus is really a church planter. Timothy is really not a church planter in the truest sense of the word. He is an apostolic representative to get a church back on the track because it's gone off the beaten track. It has gone away from the divine standard and pattern. So understand that. Understand that Timothy is not really a pastor. I've had people say to me, well, Timothy was pastor over all these people. No, he was not a pastor. Timothy is sent to straighten out the pastor's. But he is not really a pastor. In fact, if he's anything, he's called an evangelist. Paul says, do the work, Timothy, of an evangelist. The ongoing work, which would lead one strongly to believe that Timothy was an evangelist, not really a pastor in the truest sense of that term. That's why when you come to chapter 5, I'm really just making an introduction to this whole series and whole understanding of chapter 3. It's so vital for us to get this background. When you come to chapter 5, that's why Paul says this, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. In other words, he doesn't want the church to run with this in the wrong direction. 
and begin to form a Gestapo-type mentality that every time there's a problem or they think that they can get an elder out of office, they come and say, aha, I saw him do this or I saw him do that. So he really protects the leadership here. He doesn't want an extremist view and people taking advantage of the accountability that the leadership should have. But he goes on to say, those who continue in sin, he's speaking about the leadership now, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. Verse 22, do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thus share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. In other words, he's not talking about shaking someone's hand. He's talking about laying hands on in the sense of approving someone for leadership when they're not qualified. But he said, don't do it too quickly. Watch a person, observe him. Make sure that it's the right man for that kind of responsibility. As we heard toward the end of today's broadcast of Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve while teaching from 1 Timothy chapter 3 about standards for church leaders, also referenced to what Paul wrote to Titus on the same subject. I found it very interesting the way Pastor Steve compared the purpose of the leadership standards Paul gave to Timothy and the standards he gave to Titus. Today we started the series that's called God's Standards for Church Leadership, and we have more to explore in the coming days. However, I would like to tell you about the Verse by Verse podcast. This podcast gives you the opportunity to go back and listen again to the broadcast of your choice. This is an excellent opportunity to review or maybe catch up on the lesson you might have missed. I certainly hope you are intrigued enough to join us for the next Verse by Verse as we continue with God's standards for church leadership. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.